Welcome to Hong Kong Business Owners. I'm Carmen, founder of this podcast that shares inspiring stories from entrepreneurs based in Hong Kong. Whether you created your own business, thinking about doing so, or simply curious to discover business creation stories, you'll get to listen to unique business owners' journeys to learn what it takes to start a company, what the keys to success are, how to apprehend failures and challenges, and what to keep in mind when developing your own business. I hope each episode will inspire you and guide you in your current or future projects. Today in this new episode of Hong Kong Business Owners, I welcome Morgan, founder of Sparkmate, a fast-paced product development company based in Hong Kong that helps companies in robotics and IoT to innovate and turn ideas into hardware and software products in very little time. Hi, Morgan. Hello, Carmen. Welcome on the podcast. How are you doing on this Monday afternoon? Very well, very well. Glad to be here with you. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad you're here. So Sparkmate isn't your first entrepreneurial experience. From a very young age, you started experimenting. That's the least we can say about you. Um, and it all started with a contest that you participated in when you were 12. Um, the age at which you built your first 3D printer. Yeah, just a bit after. Very, still, still very impressive. So where does this desire to build things come from? I think it comes from my dad and my granddad, uh, which both of them are engineers. Um, and so from a very young age, you know, I was the kind of kid to which you would offer, you know, like a small driller for Christmas, you know, to play like dad and granddad. And so I always, you know, like tinker things. Um, at the beginning, it was mostly with like wood, you know, in my parents' garage. Um, in France, always trying, you know, to build stuff, like going in the forest, you know, and build uh, little houses, like that kind of things. And then, yeah, when I was, um, so I was always interested by engineering, you know, like motors, cars, motorcycles, engines, engines in general. And yeah, and when I was 12, in my high school, they kind of put this opportunity for me on the table to participate into a contest called F1 in School. If you have kids and they speak about F1 in school, I highly encourage you to put them into that program. It's one of the best programs, um, I think, for kids to learn engineering and entrepreneurship. It's in France? It's all around the world, all around okay. the world. But it was in France for me. Um, it's generally, you have like, a, it's, an, it's an automotive uh, brand that is a sponsor of the event. Uh, in France, it was Renault, Renault and Dassault System, which, you know, Dassault is the, the, they manufacture, like Dassault manufacture planes and Dassault System is the, CAD software, the design software that people use to manufacture, uh, to, to design these planes. And basically, everyone uses Katia to, to, design, um, to design any kind of technical objects. And so they gave me a license of Katia, a big book of like 400 pages uh, when I was 12, and the challenge of like designing my own mini F1. So I was in a team of five people. I was team leader and mostly uh, focused on, on the car. But the program is very wide and you have to go to like fundraising because you have to finance, you know, wow. all of that. So you have to go and like fundraise. So you go and like, you knock on the door of like all the shop owners of your town and you say, oh, I'm this little kid from that school and I want to participate to that. What if I give you a small part of my mini F1 on which you put your logo on 
and you gave me, you know, 100 bucks. And so I went knocking on the door. So that teach me sales. In, at the same time, I was designing that car, which teach me engineering. And, and you have to do everything. You have to do, you know, the logo of your, you have to do the, the, the graphical identity of your team. It's actually quite deep in terms of engineering. So you have to, you know, design your own car and then pitch it in front of Renault senior leadership. So I was pitching in front of Renault CTO, you know, when I, I was 12 and like they dropped me into that room. And at the time, you know, you're, you feel nothing. So you just go for there, you know, and like you get, you feel, uh, you feel nothing because many kids would be okay yeah <laughs> intimidated I, to do that yeah, yeah but at the time i think i was like you know i think when you're young you know like mm. you have this kind of innocence you know where like it's like knocking on the door you know and I, i remember my parents were like no you cannot do that you know and i was like i'm pretty sure people can give me 50 euros you know and and i just like you know go knock on the door of everyone and i was asking and um and say it. so it's it it taught me almost everything and 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 show me i could build something with my hands you know i wish i already knew something very technologic, technological. And so I was 12 years old and I ended up in the uh, national final in France, which we finished, I think, 12 or 13. And that gave me, you know, so much like strength, you know, and telling me, okay, I think that's my path. And it just created, you know, like this vocation and this willingness for me to like build things. Mm. And then, and then, yeah, you, you kept experimenting and at least you knew You had an idea of what you wanted your life to go, like the direction. Um, and then when you were a teenager, 15 or 16, you started freelancing. Yeah. Um, so you were like working on the weekend yeah. uh, with your friends and you started. Then after that, you started studying engineering, obviously. Yeah. Um, the school was in France and then on the side you were still working with clients as a freelancer and then at some point you also left France you lived for a while in Shanghai and then Sydney later on um, so you did all of this stuff you know you were a teenager many people at that time they're just I don't know drinking or having yeah. fun um, so what was your ambition at that time do you have did you have a goal or aspiration No, at the time, you know, um, I remember, so after I did this contest, why I engaged into this contest is that uh, my dad was working at Renault and it was the time where, you know, F1 was not that as huge as now, you know. And it was at the time where Fernando Alonso was in Renault and they were winning everything. So my dad used to come back from work with like these like big posters, you know, of like Fernando Alonso won, you know, and like it was the highlight of the race, you know, at the time it was like posters and he used to give it to me. So all my room was filled up with like F1 guys and Fernando Alonso. And I was like, I was always interested into that. So I wanted to become an F1 driver, uh, mm. maybe pilot, maybe engineer. I did not know, but it was kind of like, I, I knew I, I had to go to, towards like more technical things. So I learned how to design things on that CAD software. And then I was just, you know, like, so engaged by that that I was just like designing all kinds of things you can imagine on it and I was racing mini F1 you know a like, uh, mini mini car you know a, a RC cars mm -hmm. I was racing that kind of thing like the kind of professional one where you have like official race and stuff like that so I was doing that and I would keep breaking them so I was like designing new parts and, and at one moment my parents were like that costs so much money like because all, all the parts you know, are like carbons and you break them and I was like okay you know what I came up with a plan to my parents and I said I want to buy the machine 
that I used into uh, F1 in school to actually make my own parts my, myself. And, but that machine at the time was costing like 5,000 US. And my parents were like, no, there's no way you buy that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so then I was like, I think I need to find a way to, to do it. And that's why I built my first CNC machine. And then after 3D printers um, in my room, I just went on YouTube. I saw this American dude, you know, explaining roughly, you know, how to make it. Um, and I just started to binge watch all these videos and like, you know, came up with a creative solution to like build it. And I ended up building it for like a thousand, uh, uh, for a hundred US dollar. Mm. I built it. And then in France, there is this contest called the uh, Innovate. Uh, from like so it's like innovate from uh, a newspaper called uh, science and life and they had this contest you know where they would like showcase one inventor kind of and mm -hmm. i applied to it they gave me money with that money i started this fab lab um, which was i just gathered all my friends that were a bit like me we created this non-for-profit um, that was called mnt systems uh, because one name was just Morgan, Nicholas, and Tristan, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> like that. And the council, like the, the local council gave us um, 50 square meter. We just put all our machines in the same place. It was just like our own workshop that we were running, you know. And at one moment, we needed money. But what workshop was? was it was like 3D printers and like CNC machines. So it was a technical. Imagine like your dad's workshop more, you know, like technological with like, you know, drones, 3D printers, CNC machine. A CNC machine is like a 3D printer kind of laser cutting machine. So we had all these machines that we built ourselves and we put all of them into the same place and we're just like, so we had this amazing platform to build any kind of things. So on the weekend, we just gather there, you know, and like tinker our motorcycle, you know, like modify them to make them more powerful. We would like build a drone. We just so like... It was out of... A passion and a yeah, common yeah. interest. Yeah, yeah, a common interest that we had, you know, for, for, for tech. And that's when we were like 14, 15, sometimes, yeah, maybe 16. And then at around 16, we started kind of to run out of money. We have to find clever ways to make money. And, um, and we just started to sell our skills, kind of as like freelancing, which was not freelancing, it was freelancing, but like it was a non-for-profit that we had. Yeah. So we would go and see companies and say like, okay, we can build you anything you want uh, during the weekend and each weekend that we work on is 600 euro and we're gonna work on on your project you pay 600 euro and that you know 600 euro would give us you know like four months of like running op uh, of operating <laughs> of but, operating uh, expense you know but company would trust a bunch of 16 year old guy yeah because like when because at the time we already had kind of a small like a good track record for our age We won like a lot of, lot of innovation contests and stuff like that. Okay, okay. And, and think about it, it's like, it was like 600 euros in France. When you, make, when, you, when you give money to a non-for-profit, it's mm. tax deductible. Uh, I think it's 60 or 70%. So again, it would cost, it cost them you know, 200 euros. What's the risk? You know? And so they were yeah, just yeah. like giving us like that. And so we just made a bit of money like that. And then when I was 18, this company were like, okay, you know what, Morgan, if you would be a freelance, if, if you... If you had like a freelance and a real company, uh, we would take you on more longer term things. And at the time I was like going to university. So I started to close that Fab Lab because I didn't have that time to like, you know, run it on the weekend because I, for university, I moved away from my parents' uh, place when I was 17. So, and so when I was 18, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? It's just the time I can incorporate a company. And I just incorporated a company and, um, and I started to work for, for, for these companies on a more long term uh, relationship with them. 
and yeah, I went to to engineering engineering school, but I did not really appreciate it in a way that like it was super theoretical, not very practical, and you know when I'm something that like switched my mind is like I joined university, and I was like you know pro bono working for some of the laboratory of the university for the mechanical engineering lab, and because they had three printers and they did not know how to make them working. So like one guy of the school knew I had some at home and he was like, oh, can you help us to like fix them? So I went to fix them. And then after working for a week or two with that guy, so I was like probably, you know, months into the school. And the guy told me, um, uh, Morgan, you have to make sure that you're gonna pass math and physics uh, subject um, because in terms of engineering, we have nothing to teach you. And I was first year in school. Wow. Imagine you go first year in school and then it's five years. He said like, some guys that got graduated in mechanical engineering, they, don't, they know less about mechanical engineering that, as you. And that switched my mind. And I was like, okay, you know what? I have nothing to learn here. So I just switched my mind from like learning things to just validate subjects. Mm. And so I went into that kind of stuff where I would choose the most easy path to clear, to clear up as much possible things in my diary to be able to run side project and side gig. And so during, I, I ju- and I just use university as a platform to experiment any kind of things I could. So I launched like, you know, tons of projects, tons of uh, company, a lot of them failed <laughs> actually, <laughs> but a lot of that give me learnings, you know? Yeah, yeah. And at one moment I wanted to drop out from school. Um, I think a year into it. And, um, and the dean of the school told me, yeah, we can send you to Shanghai because we have a partnership with one of the schools there. I was not interested into Asia at all. Funny that you say that now. Yeah. <laughs> But I was like, I was like, I was not interested into China. I've been raised, you know, into a, a family, you know, that value a lot like human rights and stuff like that. And my mom used to tell me, you know, like China, they don't respect human rights. And, and she would be like, you know, like my kids would never go to this country, you know. And, and she would, you know, I think she was like, yeah, my kids would go to the UK. I think she kind of pushed me, you know, not pushed me, but like she, she was not against the fact that I would go abroad and stuff like that, but never to, to Shanghai. So when I came back and I said, I'm, I'm going to China, mom. And she was like, kind of shocked, you know, but she was, she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I think I don't want to stay in France anymore. And it was the only place I could go by uh, staying in my studies. And, um, and she was like, if, if that makes you happy, do it, you know? And so I just, I, I just went there, but I arrived in China, you know, I took this decision kind of, you know, like last minute. I went to a passport because I did not have a passport at the time. I was never out, I never went out of Europe before that. And, and I was yeah, 18 and I just like flew to, flew to Shanghai. Um, didn't know how to speak Chinese. And that was like just eye opening, you know. Mm. And I did that, came back in France for a bit. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to leave. So I went to Australia. <laughs> as far as you can go. <laughs> yeah, I was, Australia is actually quite far. <laughs> Maybe you can go to New Zealand and uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's further away. But, <laughs> um, but and then uh, later after that, you created Sparkmate because yeah. this is also what brings you here today. Yeah. So was it in 2020? Yeah, in 2019, basically I got 2019. graduated. Okay. I got graduated from my school in 2019. And how did you, how did you start this company? And why? And also why in Hong Kong? Yeah. So, so the, the stuff is kind of simple. Like, so during my studies, I incorporated a company with one of my best mate, Maxim. Uh, we were flatmates at the time. And I was working on my freelance project. And he was seeing the, the project. He was like, oh, that's nice. And then we started working together because I had too much client that I could handle myself. 
Max is the smartest guy I know. Like, I'm gonna work with him. And I just, you know, like, it, it just went super natural, you know, and we did, like, also a ton of projects at school together, running, like, the TEDx of the school, and, like, so we, we knew we knew we could work together, we were good friends, and so we started working together, and we wanted to do our last internship of, you know, in France, the last six months of your studies is actually an internship, and um, at least for engineering school, and we did not no company would make would made us dream, you know. So like, okay, we want just to continue what we are doing on the side, like freelancing, because we are earning enough money to like sustain, you know, and, mm -hmm. and live. So like, we're just gonna do that for for our, our, our stuff. But in France, you at the time we were like freelancer. You cannot do an internship if you're a freelancer, but you can do an internship into a company as long as you incorporate like the equivalent of a of a limited company. Uh, you can actually do your last internship into it. And so we incorporated a company like, you know, probably like two weeks before starting our internships. And, uh, and then we just made our internship inside our company. And that company was named MyCTO, so it was before SparkMate. And so no, so no company will make you dream about it. So yeah, it was yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I was like, it's just going to be my own, you know. And, and that's actually a big part of the things, you know, um, of like the culture of SparkMate is actually linked to that. Because so, so we... We did our last internship inside that company, my CTO. We incorporated that company in France um, because Max at the time did not want it to, to, to live abroad. And so we moved to Paris. We got selected to Station F, you know, the biggest startup incubator in the world. In so, the world? Yeah, in terms of number of people. Oh. If they, I think in terms of number of companies under the same roof is the biggest. Um, for the people who don't know, Station F is a, yeah, it's, it's in Paris. It's, yeah, yeah. for... For entrepreneurs, yeah. it's a great platform to network and develop your business. Yeah, and so we spent like a year into into this stuff, and and then I got graduated in in we got graduated in November 2019, and at the time it was already almost 18 months that I was living in, back in France from Australia. How long uh, did you stay in Australia? Uh, almost one year. Oh yeah. And, and so I was like, I can't deal with that anymore. Like I I, I don't know. It was like. I did not really like the, the mindset. I did not, and just, I think it was not stimulating enough for me um, to stay in France. And so I said to Max, I said, look, you know what? Like, I don't want to do uh, my CTO anymore. I give you my shares, I, I give you whatever. I want kind of to stop, you know? And it was a bit selfish of me at that time, you know? I was so, you know, like into the fact that I wanted to move back abroad. And, uh, and we had a chat with Max and we decided, so we got graduated on the Saturday. On the Monday morning, we were in a plane for Shanghai. Because that's where we knew, that's where at least like Max and I yeah. knew the best entrepreneur. Because they used to be our teacher in school, this oh. guy. They used to pro bono and come to teach. Too. So I went to see them and just like get their wisdom, you know. And also Shanghai was, you uh, well, knew. Yeah, I knew, bit. I knew the place. And, and then, you know, during that trip, we did not make any visa for Shanghai. So we just did a transit visa, you know, which is like 144 hours. And so we had to exit China. And where did we end up? Hong Kong. Oh, so it's a and total so, and, and so it coincidence. Total coincidence. And then we arrived in Hong Kong. And then as we were in Hong Kong, I'm like, oh, I'm going to meet some entrepreneurs, speak about the local entrepreneurship scene. Stuff like that. And I meet some amazing like entrepreneurs, which a lot of them were actually French. It was the protest, you know, but like Hong Kong was still like, and, and I think it's still, you know, one of the best platforms to operate in Southeast Asia, uh, like in Asia in general. And also like Southeast Asia, you know, Hong Kong is basically four hours from everywhere in, in Asia. And I wanted to. I knew I wanted to move back to that side of the world, not to the U.S. side. And, and when you're a stranger, you know there is not much place where you can incorporate a company easily, like Hong Kong or Singapore. 
and we just arrived there and I was like, okay, bang, like, let's do it, you know. And 5th January 2020, we incorporated Sparkmate. And, and you remember I told you we did not get inspired by any company. Mm. And so we used that experience as us engineering students and engineers uh, getting frustrated by the offer on the market to create the best company. So we're like, okay, this company will have such kind of, will work on such kind of project. This company will do this, this company will do this, this company will. And so we framed out, you know, what, what became Sparkmate today mm. on just on a piece of paper. And then we started it like that. You know, we, we took bold choice at the beginning. At the beginning, it was before the COVID. We're like, we're going to be a fully asynchronous company. You know, and, and choice that like people took after the COVID, you know, but like in, in, in 2020, we, we, we took this choice because we're like, it's just annoying that as an, as an engineer, you know, you have to rely on other people's schedule, you know, and like meetings. So we took both choice with like, okay, Sparkmate would not have any meetings. We would like do that. We would work on, on this kind of project. You adapted it to your, yeah, the yeah. way you want. And, and you know, like without really advertising or, or any kind of things, the value proposition for engineers and for people, for talents to work at Sparkmate, is probably one of the best. Like without marketing or advertising, in three years, we had 1,800 people that applied to the company, you know, like spontaneous application. Wow. So we became very strong at like selecting, training and retaining talents. And, um, and that I think made the biggest strength of Sparkmate is the talent and the team we have inside. Even though like I jumped into entrepreneurship quite early on, like I'm more an engineer than a marketing guy, you know. So the marketing of Sparkmate is not the best at all. But the thing that we, and we assumed that at the beginning, at the beginning of the company, you know, one of the things we worked with Max is like, we, we wrote our best marketing strategy would be to do our job better than anyone else. Mm. And that's, that's how everything started, you know, mm. from that. Yeah, so initially you're an engineer. Now you're also an entrepreneur. Yes. So what's your role exactly today at Sparkmate? Do you focus on, I guess you focus on managing the team? 27 people, if yeah. I'm correct. Um, but do you also work on like hands-on projects with clients? I still jump into some project um, when it's needed, you know. So, so my strengths as an engineer are like mechatronical and mechanical engineering. Um, and What's the difference between mechanical and mechatronical? Okay. So, so mechatronics, I'm sure, yeah, I'm mechatronics, sure I'm not mechatronics. The only yeah. one who doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so mechatronics is a mix between um, mechanics, electronics, and software and automation and embedded software. So it's basically everything that is a hardware object that is kind of, I would not say smart, but able to perform tasks by himself. So it's like, it's not exactly robotics. Mechatronics is more, you know, like automated assembly lines, you know, mechanical system that actually act by themselves, you know. Okay. But so I come more from mechanical engineering background, which I think I'm, I'm still very strong at that because, you know, all of that stuff. And I think I, if you have like, if you listen to that and you have like, kids, I think like put them to find their passion and their art skills super early on. Because for me, you know, from like my 12 to my 20, I've been like, you know, binging mechanical engineering. So when I was 22, even though I was super young, I had 10 years of mechanical engineering experience behind me. And, um, and still today, you know, like these skills, because I'm not like practicing mechanical engineering every day, uh, because obviously, like, as you said, like, uh, we took a choice at Sparkmint to have a very little uh, support workforce, if I can say that. So Sparkmate is kind of an agency slash service company. So what we have is we have people 
that actually work on the delivery, uh, which in my case are engineers. Um, and out of you know the 27 people in the company, 25 are engineers. And so we've got very little you know support services. That means I need to do still a lot of things on that. So when I started Sparkmet, the first things I did, the first error I actually made in Sparkmet was a mechanical engineer. So I trained him. And then that mechanical engineer, I trained another one, trained another one. So we become quite sure. So I don't need to like jump a lot on mechanical engineering project because they, they do it probably better than me. But at some point, you know, like for example, like let, me, let me give you an example. We are working on a project at the moment where we are making what's called the NRS electric road system. So we are basically making a smart road that is able to charge vehicle when vehicle drive on it. Okay. So kind of smart like, road. So it's like kind of like a tram, you know, you know, tram, you know, when like you, the tram gets power, you know, from the ground or from, from, from the top. And, um, and we are doing the same thing, but it's not a tram. It's like cars that can come in, connect themselves to the road, drive and get charged at the same time. Okay. So it's kind of an innovation we're building. And for that, we need to buy a um, an electric bus that we want to modify to make the first demonstrator. So even though I'm not like 100% on all the project, but like I went to do the the, the technical negotiation uh, in China. Um, so I was in, in Shanghai last week and, and visiting the factory and doing all that kind of stuff. It's it's not like technical engineering. Let's, let's put it that way. I'm not designing a mechanical engineering system but I'm still involved in almost all the mechanical engineering projects in a way that I, I would review what has been done, keep being involved into, into that kind of project. So it seems that you can train people and, and then you trust people, you trust your team. Yeah. And my next question was about that. How do you hire the members of your team? How do you make sure, do you hire them? Are you the one doing that? How do you, do you need to train them or do you take them already like with a certain amount of experience and and also how do you keep the same uh, work environment as your team grows because it grew from three to 27 so how do you keep the same you know the same atmosphere the same values the same way yeah. of working it's, it's actually quite a hard uh, it's quite a hard question um in terms of hiring and training people first thing is like hire someone that is on the same skill set as you So that's what I did. So my first hire was that mechanical engineers. So I could, you know, I knew how to train them because I was more experienced than them at the time. But when I started Sparkmate, I did not have the money to hire like, you know, a senior guy. Mm. So I was hiring, you know, young and talented guys that I would train. That was my bet. I think if I, if I had a bit more money, I would get like people that are more expensive than me in mechanic, mechanical engineering. So when I hired these guys that were younger than me, I told them you have... You have one job, is to be the best in the company in mechanical engineering. So which is like, which was at the time being the, being better than me. That's your only focus. And and for that, during the first months, you're gonna follow what I do. So you follow what I do, you just imprint yourself in the culture and in the way we do things. Because people, you know, think that culture in startups and in, in, in young companies is like, you know, world on the walls, but culture is how you do things and especially how you do things when shit hit the fan, which happened all the time, you know. So you want to have that person as close to you so that person can see what's the problem and how do you overcome it, you know. Then the, one, the, the, the months after, I would let them lead all the things. So I would put them in front of, like, owners of the task. 
and tell them to use me as their interns. So I tell them, I'm your intern. Teach you me. ask me, no, not even teach me, ask me to do things. Ask me to do the bad jobs. Mm-hmm. Focus yourself on like designing, on like making the things, but they, every time you need to do some small things like soldering and stuff like that, you ask me, I will do it for you. So they focus on the high level task, you know, and that also allows me, you know, to see what they were doing. Sometimes I could jump in and say like, actually, I'm not sure you should do it like that. She has a way to do it, smarter ways, man. But I would, I would always put myself, you know, under them and tell them like, use me as your intern. So that forced them, you know, to take the lead, force them to uh, delegate, uh, force them to, like force them to be a leader, kind of. Um, and then I would kind of disappear from the task, but keep, you know, having like a more high level view of what they were doing. And I would always let them do the mistake first. Always. I would never try to avoid, avoid the mistake. I would prefer to be very reactive on the mistake and, and, and be ready myself at jumping into the fire than avoiding the fire. Because I think people, you know, even though you can explain them, you know, how to react to a situation, people have no idea until they reach that situation, you know. And, and, and a good example is a guy from my team. We, had, we were at the time um, doing the manufacturing of a product. And when you do manufacturing, so you negotiate, you know, once you design all the product, you go see factories and you speak with factories and you get quotes and you design, you redesign the product with them and stuff like that. We had to present that to one of our clients. And actually the first guy I ever hired in my team was in charge of that, you know. And so at the time I was like kind of far away from like what he was doing. And I just, I, I was continuing to jump into the, the call with the clients and he started to present, he was a bit stressed. Mm. And it turned out that he transmitted all this stress to the client. Wow. And it went so bad. Like the, the work that he, that, that he had been done over the last, you know, like... The work was good. The, the last month, the work was top-notch. Mm. But then, he was not precise in his communication. The guy was asking, you know, how much this will cost? Uh, I don't know, you know, like probably between this and this. Like he was not giving clear answers. And, uh, and all that stress, you know, got from him to the clients. And the clients hang up on the call and say, okay, you know what, you come back when you're, when you're done, when you're, um, when you're ready. I was very active, retook everything. Actually, I think I, we redid the presentation together with the guy from my team, put it correctly, and then represented to the client a week later. And, and the client were happy and were, were okay. Now this guy, because he, and even though I already, I told him, you know, be careful but not transmitting your stress to the client. Be careful of like, even if it's normal to be, to have, to have some stress, it's normal, you know, to not know things. And even though I told him that before the call and of he course. knew, he did not know until he realized that now the guy is making the best delivery and communication with clients ever in my team because he experienced that, you know. And, uh, and so now in onboarding and in training people, I'm not trying to avoid the fire. I'm trying actually to recreate artificially situation where they, where they can put fire. So this situation that was normal at the time, you know, when I was a very, like when SparkMed was a very young company, you know, and everything was like just a mess. Because if you think about it, you know, we started the company 5 January 2020 in Hong Kong. I could not come back to Hong Kong. So I, I, I went to, to France to see my family. Could not come back to Hong Kong because at the time I did not have any visa. So I could not come back to Hong Kong. I incorporated quickly a company in France in order to be able to like make money because I had no money at the time. So we incorporated a subsidiary of, uh, of, of a Hong Kong company in France, started to, to work on some project, but it was in the middle of the COVID. And so it was a very like kind of stressful uh, uh, situation for everyone and everyone had to step in. 
there's this saying, it's a bit cheesy, you know, but like tough time creates great people. And, and so I'm trying to recreate that artificially in the company when guys are onboarded. So the onboarding at Spark, mate, is kind of rough, but if you can make it, then after you're good, you know. Now that's what we say. We, we give you six months to become the best in the company. In you, basically, when you join the company, you have to pick up a field. It could be mechanical, it could be electronical, it could be like, you know, back-end, front-end, whatever. You pick one of the fields and you have to become the best of the company yeah. in that field. Yeah. But it's, it's good to have high standards because uh, making a wrong hire Mm. cost actually a lot of money and a yeah. lot of time yeah. and also it can affect yeah, the the company's yeah, the, the, culture. Yeah, the culture and also the standards yeah, the and standard. the service you yeah. provide to clients but, but actually you know like the, the standard of it's fairly simple the standard of your company is the, the lowest standards of, of one of the guys in the team you know like yeah. the one that is at the lowest became the standards because mm. people looked at him and said like if as an entrepreneur you tolerate someone to be that low If people see it, you know, they see, you know, that that person is not performing and you let him underperform compared to the rest of the team. It, it'll like, drown the... Yeah. yeah. So you always have to, to fight that. And then for the culture, you know, I think like since, since day one, I think we've been very good on like, you know, creating a special atmosphere. Like the company principles, you know, we've got five which are uh, play to win the game. So I think that's the basic of any high performing organization. At the end of the day, you know, like if you do something, you have to do to win it, you know, and at least become the best in, in, in what you do. And that's, I think, the base of like the foundation of any high performing organization. Um, make it obvious, which is it's not exactly transparency, because transparency is a fairly common value in into startup and tech now. Uh, but make it obvious is making sure the information you share is intelligible for the person in front of you. So not using jargon, you know, mm. not using that kind of stuff. Um, then own it or leave it. One of the biggest value of uh, SparkMate is ownership. You can tell that I think from the stories I, I tell you. You know, it's like it's like once we give you something, we we expect you, you know, to like own it till the end. You know, um, so that's another value. Own it or leave it. Ship small, build fast is actually a, a value that is a bit different from the rest of the engineering world. In a way that, like in engineering, most of the people, you know, would like make pixel perfect plans. Like they would not really something that that is perfect. We are kind of the complete opposite. We don't care about releasing something that is shaky as long as we are close to the client, speaking with them, you know, helping them. Because we have a very prag pragmatic way of doing engineering. It's a very entrepreneurial approach of engineering. Um, and the last one is give the spark, is kind of like paying it forward, um, helping people be the person that initiates things. And so I think that mix of the culture, like, like these principles that actually, we actually wrote these principles after a few years of entrepreneurship, you know. So it's not bullshit, you know, because sometimes you have like mm. people that write things, you know, but... But don't leave it. You look, you look at like when shit hit the fan, you know, <laughs> and like and like, and like the, this principle just blew away, you know. Mm. And, um, and I can tell you that shit hit the fan a couple of times at SparkMate. <laughs> like a lot, of, a, a lot of time. And, uh, and these values are actually, you know, like well respected. And where does the... Just a quick question, where does the name come from? Sparkmate? Mm -hmm. Wow, um, we were like, you know, looking for a name for that company because at the time, Max and I, you know, we had no idea about like marketing and like, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
like our first company was named my CTO, you know. And so when we when we look at that as started Spark, we said, okay, we're not gonna rebrand the name. We're probably gonna change the branding of the company a couple of times, but we don't want to change them, so we want to find a cool one. And um, and a lot of people were telling that we are making sparks, you know. Mm. And at the time I lived in Australia also, and mate is a very common one. Yeah, yeah. The way we were acting with our client was very you no know, matey friendly relationship. So we are just we just spark mate, you know. And so some people uh, in Australia, because we, before, now we are 27, but we used to have an office in Australia. Um, so we were a bit bigger before, and we, but we had to scale down a bit and like just like post the development of these things. But in Australia, people think we are electrician, electricians. Because in, uh, in Australia, <laughs> a Sparky is an, ah, is an electrician. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and, and you talk, You talked about the culture and, and your vision, but do you also have a, I guess you have like kind of a roadmap or a like long-term objectives yeah, that you so. want to reach? And also, do you share that with your team or yeah. business partners? Yeah, I told you one of my, uh, my values was uh, make it obvious, one yeah. of the principles. So everything is shared with the team. Um, we often, you know, take times to speak about that. Um, you know, like refine, uh, refine this, uh, this, this objective and these goals. Obviously, you always have to adapt the plan. So it's more direction that you have. I think the, the, LCS, the, the LC way, I think, to, to, to approach long-term plan as an entrepreneur is to more have a direction and then like allow yourself to, to move. Because if you're too like stick to the plan, like you cannot stick to the plan because who could have predicted the COVID? Mm. No one. Who could have predicted you know, the startup crash that happened just after, you know, where the valuation of all the companies you know, dropped like 10x, you know, like within a, within a few months and, and many other things. So, you, so you can, you cannot have that, but then you have a direction and, and you have like where you want to go. And, um, and it's even like written on a website, you know, like if you go, uh, if you go on, on Sparkmate website, you know, there is a, a page called North Star. And because I used to say, you know, like the, yeah. The travelers, you know, at the time they used to follow the North Star. It's not exactly a direct a direction. You know, it's like it's what guides you. You know, so we have principle, we have this, and, and all of that plan is actually public on our website, so you can go and check oh, it out. Okay. So you go sparkmate.com/northstar, okay. and and you can check all of that. So it's all public. But yeah, obviously we have a we have long term plans about like where we want to go and and that kind of stuff. And what about the competition uh, in Hong Kong? Because you told me. You doing stuff many very differently from mm. from many other engineering companies. Mm. So what's it like in Hong Kong? And also, I was wondering, is there do you see competition coming from China, like mainland China? Mm. To, to be honest, I haven't really focused myself on on the competition. You know, most of the time I discover competitors because uh, we there is a RFP. You know, request for proposal from a client. You know, that's gonna go and see. You know, three, four companies that act like me, mm -hmm. and then sometimes, like actually, maybe most of the time, we win that RFP, and then they tell me, you know, like, oh, we were, you by the way, you are in competition with this guy, this guy, and this guy, and that's how I met, I know them. You know, but are there um, are there are they big companies or or? It depends on the kind of the on the kind of project. Sometimes I would be put in competition with like huge company, Accenture mm -hmm. or BCG. Sometimes some very small companies, sometimes even some freelancers. That that really depends, you know, on like on the stuff. I'm kind of the bad, uh, kind of a, a bad guy to speak about competition because I'm I'm not that focused on on them. I don't really look at what they are they are doing. Um, 
I think I know what makes a great engineering company and I just follow that plan, you know, without really looking to what others are doing. Yeah, there's a couple of competitors in, in Hong Kong, but I'm not even sure they work for the local market in Hong Kong. I mm-hmm. think they work more, they do the interface with some factories in China. So I'm not sure there is like, yeah, direct, exactly direct competitors. But you know, in entrepreneurship, we say that it's not that I don't have competitors, it's just that I don't know them, you know, because obviously you have competitors, but just I don't know. And I know a couple of names also in Paris. Um, we actually, we, we bought one of our competitors uh, in in 2020 during the COVID. One of our main competitors, I think, suffered a lot from us plus the COVID. <laughs> and uh, and we ended up in the court buying them uh, and buying all the, all the assets they had at the end of 2020. I think December 2020. Okay. So now this brings us to our last question. What's the last question? You know the last question. I'm asking you if you have tips to share to other entrepreneurs or to future ones. You told me to think about that question, but I completely forgot. (laughs) Like imagine, well, me, I'm also an entrepreneur, or or maybe I'm sure you know people who would like to, but they're still afraid of doing it. Mm. Uh, What have you learned in all these years that you would like to share? Well, I think the first one will be like, just do it. If you think about it, you know, just, just, just go for it. Just start to build something. I think, you know, ignorance and innocence is one of the greatest strengths of any entrepreneur. Because if you know, like if someone would have told me what I would have been gone through mm. in the last three and a half years, I would never have done it. So I think that's one of the first one. Just don't think, you know, that you don't have any, any luck. Just go for it. And then you will see, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm-hmm. You go back to a normal life. That's okay. You know, you yeah. find back a job. That's an is- mm-hmm. interesting one. The second one that I would give you is don't listen to other people. Mm-hmm. Follow your guts. If you're deciding to start that company, that's probably... The job of an entrepreneur is basically to gather as much data as possible and take decisions. And don't listen to all your friends that are giving you advice, or at least listen to them, but don't apply their advice. <laughs> because most of the time, you know, you have like, like people open their mouths a bit too much, I think sometimes, most of the time. And they would try to give you advice on things you have, they have no idea. They have probably half of the data that you have, and they're gonna teach you how to do something, you know, and sometimes something that they haven't done themselves. So I think, yeah, don't listen too much to, the, to, to, to people, do the things the way you want, like if you're starting, let's say, I don't know, you're starting a company, it's probably because you, you've identified a gap on the market. It's probably something that you've seen and you realize that there is a problem. You have so much more data point than anyone else. And I think, you know, like to, to, to give you the example of, like my example, when I started Sparkmate and that frustration about engineers, I think, you know, like no one would have told me that's right because no one had an idea about that frustration of engineers and, and the fact that engineers, you know, don't want to work on like scattered work um, the fact that engineering company most of the time are very hierarchical company in which you cannot progress as an engineer. Once you reach a certain level, you have to switch career to become a manager, which is completely bullshit. If you're a good engineer, become a great engineer, you know. And I build SparkMate around these principles, you know, which are completely opposite of like what people think in many ways, you know. And and there's many other things that I did, you know, completely opposite than people would. And I think if people think you are crazy, I think it's actually a good thing. 
you know, if people tell you, you know, like you're crazy, that means you're doing something right because you're doing something different and you're following, you know, your guts. If you have intuition, just follow it. And then the more you go, I think when you start to reach, you know, like, you still need to follow your guts, but I think now, you know, I would follow more the data mm. on, on many things, you know. But like, as soon as you start to reach, you know, like 25, 30 people, you know, you start to make, you know, like multiple millions. But the gut feeling is the spark at yeah, the it's, beginning. It's, it's the important. At the beginning, you know, if, if I need to make like, you know, graphs, at the beginning of your journey, I would follow your gut feeling 100%. And, and actually, that would be my, my last advice is um, find yourself a co-founder that you can trust more than anyone else. You know, you should tell yourself, could I marry that person? Could I stay for my whole life with that guy or that girl or whatever? Could I stay for my, my whole life with that person? And be very aligned and have the same, I would not say have the same profile, but you should come from the, I would say the same place. You should have the same system of values, the same way of fra framing a problem. And you should have someone with whom you know you can support each other, um, being able to, you know, share leadership and blind trust that person. Good test is like, would you give your bank details to that guy? Would you give your wallet to that guy? All that kind of stuff, you know, like it should be a fucking LES on every kind of other discussion. Could that guy open, you know, your, your Instagram, your WhatsApp, scroll to all your conversation? Yeah. If you're not able to answer yes to this question, I think it's the wrong person. And, and on that, you know, a lot of people are actually looking for a co-founder. I would say don't look for the co-founder. If, you, if you're looking for someone, you will never find it. Like if you're, if you're, if you're looking for it, nothing can happen. Just start building, start doing things. And the best way to attract some people is actually to, to do things and build things. Okay. Well, I like, I like all of this, but the first one is very uh, different from what I heard. When, but like being innocent. ignorant and yeah, you know innocent. Like, I like this. I like that one. Yeah, but I, yeah. but you you don't think it's true? Yeah, I think it's true, but it's very different from the other episodes. What the people told what me. What people say? Um, they say don't listen to other people. This is something I heard. Uh, also, follow your guts. Um, don't be afraid to fail. Like it's it's quite. Yeah, oh, the mindset is very common, even if the, the businesses are different. But that one, okay. I, I'll keep it for me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, this conversation, for sharing time. your story, for having us interested in the tech world, because yeah. I guess for some people it's very techy, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but it's quite fascinating to learn about all the stuff that you do and the the also the this it seems to be super fast and like yeah, people yeah. learn a lot and be fast and sharp so yeah. yeah good environment um so yeah it was great having you here and where can we find out more about sparkmate mm, on the website sparkmate. I, I, I saw i read on the website that you do a Is it actually true? Because sometimes on website there are things written, but uh, do you do like a free product development strategy session? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read that and was intrigued, so I yeah. thought I would mention yeah, yeah. it. Like, yeah, people uh, people can just like book. Before it used to be with me, 
Um, but then like it was too much so now it's like guys from my team that do it cool uh, that's cool sometimes I take I, I take some like randomly you know if you book a, a product strategy session sometimes it's with me it's like I just like you basically explain us you know what you want to build and we just tell you you know how we would approach it okay how we would, we would approach the problem I publish quite a lot on, on LinkedIn and, and okay. Twitter we also run some events in Hong Kong and Paris um, called Give the Spark. You can check that also on our website. Okay. Um, well, I all the links to your website and social media uh, will be in the description of the episode. So that's it. Uh, thank you. Thanks to you, my dear listeners. I hope you're inspired by today's business story. And if you're thinking about running your own business, you might now be one step closer to doing so. See you in two weeks for a new business story. And don't forget to leave me five stars to support me and follow me on Instagram at hk.businessowners. Bye.